Turn to Galatians chapter 6 with me. Galatians 6, verses 6 through 10. If everything goes according to plan and there are no surprises in my studies this week, this should be the next to last message we have on Galatians, but I don't make any promises. Um, when we are finished, however, uh, we, the plan is to go to the book of Genesis and uh, study the life of Joseph together. So that's where we'll be headed, Lord willing, in a few weeks. But today, Galatians 6, verses 6 through 10, before I read our text, let's pause for a moment and, and ask for the Lord's help as we turn to his word. Lord, as we receive instruction now from your word, we, we pray that you would grant us faith and understanding, work by your word and spirit, so that we trust in Christ and in Christ alone, and so that our lives are given over to you in a life of good works. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 6, beginning in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Well, we've seen that the great burden of Galatians is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. That we are forgiven and accepted by God through faith in Christ alone apart from works. That we are right and, and reconciled, well, right with God and reconciled to God apart from any consideration of our works. And to try to add works to faith is to construct another gospel, which Paul said is no gospel at all. Remember the, the issue in Galatia is that some teachers had come into these fellowships and, and were basically saying, it's faith in Jesus, that's good, that's important, that's needed, but more is necessary to be justified. And the particular strain of this teaching, of course, was saying, uh, you need to be circumcised. Gentile believers, you need to be circumcised. You, you need to observe certain ceremonial food laws. You, you need to keep certain old covenant Sabbath regulations. And Paul says that is a damnable plus to the gospel. And in this latter part of Galatians, after Paul has labored to show us that we are justified by faith alone apart from works, 
Paul has been now explaining the, the moral shape, the, the ethical contours of the, the justified, spirit-led life. And in our passage today, he's continuing that line of thought of, of life in union with Jesus Christ, indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. And here he identifies, I think, three characteristics of a Spirit-led life. Three things that we are responsible for as followers of Jesus Christ. Let me just mention them now and then we'll, we'll unpack them. First of all, Paul is going to show us that the, the Spirit-led believer supports the work of the church in verse 6. Secondly, the Spirit-led believer sows to the Spirit. That's verses 7 through 9. And then in verse 10, the Spirit-led believer stewards well opportunities to do good. Okay, so let's unpack those beginning with the first. The Spirit-led believer supports the work of the church. Take a look again at verse 6 with me. It says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, in the, at least in the ESV, it, it gives the impression that those who are taught must in turn share with the one who teaches the blessings they've received from God through the ministry of the word. And to be sure, we're not going afoul there if that's something we're doing. That's something we ought to be doing, not just with the, the one who teaches, not just with the pastor, but with one another, sharing with one another how the ministry of God's word is at work in our lives, how it's encouraging us and challenging us and shaping us. What Christians in the past used to call conferencing. We, we ought to talk with one another about how the ministry of God's word is doing good in our lives. But as I've had opportunity to, to, to study this verse more, virtually all commentators are, are unanimous in saying that the good things Paul is speaking about here are material and financial. So the context here is, all right, you've got these, you've got these fledging churches in Galatia and in southern Galatia, and you have these, these group of individuals who, who are teaching and and they're being set apart for this work. It, it is becoming their full-time work to teach the word, to provide instruction in the word to the congregation. And in other words, you have developing within the churches of Galatia the practice of a paid ministry. And Paul is, Paul is addressing here those who are taught. It's where we get our word catechism from. Sometimes we think that's a Catholic word. It's not a Catholic word, it's a it's a biblical word. And I think there you have a, a one-word summary of the heart of the ministry of, of a teacher, of a pastor in a local congregation. It's good. It's good, I think, for all of us to be reminded of. It's good, especially for me, to be reminded of because there are a lot of competing ideas out there about what a pastor should be and do. Uh, on Wednesday night in fellowship group, we... We were, uh, we were discussing that section of, of Pilgrim's Progress where John Bunyan gives you a description of the gospel minister. And one of the descriptions he gives is the word of truth is, is, is on his mouth. And I asked the group 
how do you think Bunyan's view of gospel ministry maybe differs from some popular models today? And some people talked about the pastor as entertainer, the pastor as a motivational speaker. Um, we could, you know, I'd say the pastor is administrator or CEO or janitor or whatever. You could go on and on with examples here. And this Paul is reminding us, and in, in, in I think one clear word here, that the, that the duty and responsibility of the pastor is to catechize, to provide instruction, to be a, a minister that is a servant of <coughs> the word. If I stop doing that, fire me, okay? I mean that. Fire me. The center of a pastor's ministry is to expound and explain the word. But Paul says to the members of the churches in Galatia, you are responsible to share all good things, he says. And the word for share there is the word koinonia, fellowship. Uh, younger folk today usually talk about this in terms of community, your community fellowship. So let's run with this for a second and think about it. And I want to I broaden out the principle because there's more to this than simply freeing up your pastor from financial anxieties. And you can imagine it's, that's somewhat awkward for me to be the one speaking about that, but I just said that my job is to provide instruction in the word. So here it is, we shouldn't bypass any part of God's word. But secondly, it's not really embarrassing for me to talk about because I'm privileged to serve in a church that abundantly provides for its pastors, and that's something I am deeply, deeply grateful for. But what I want to focus on here is that the fact that Paul is more broadly talking about community life in the fellowship of the church. And so what does it look like? It looks like sharing your stuff. Share all good things. It, it's a feature of discipleship, of belonging to the church, of following Jesus, that you, that you share all good things. And that you do so with, first of all, within the parameters of the body of Christ, in connection with what Paul will say later, especially the household of faith. All right, so let's talk about this for, for a moment. Actually, somebody asked me last Sunday, who will, they'll remain anonymous, but they, they said, hey, you should preach on, on giving, on tithing. I've never been asked that before, actually. <laughs> And my response was, well, we'll talk about that when, whenever God's word deals with that. And well, here, here you go. Uh, and I, I want to I talk about this for a, f- a few minutes, but let me say, let me say first to, to any visitors or guests, I'm, I'm talking here, at least for now at this point, to the members of our congregation. And that we don't, you know, we really don't, we don't make a big deal of, of, of this, I, I was reflecting upon it, and since I've arrived in the fall of 2013, I can't think of a time I've taught or preached on the topic of giving in the church. It's not something we make a a big deal of, but it's here, a biblical point, I think, that needs to be addressed. And the point of the New Testament is that everybody should share in the joy of giving, It's not the duty of a few people. It's not the duty of just the wealthy in the church. This is the responsibility of 
all disciples. It's a mark of discipleship, giving. So I looked up some statistics about the, well, the broader evangelical church today, and here's, here's what I uncovered. Only 10 to 25% of people pledge or tithe. Some churches practice pledging, some churches have a tithe. 10 to 25%. For families making over 75000 a year, 1% of them give at least 10% of their income. Now, bring it a little closer to home. Uh, a prominent Reformed church did a survey of their congregation and found that half of their membership pledged. In other words, half of them did not give consistently or at all. <clears throat> that same church found that two-thirds of the giving came from people over the age of 50. And that, that two-thirds it did not reflect the membership of the church. It wasn't that two-thirds of the membership were over the age of 50. It was just simply that younger people were not giving to the work of the church. And that's been a noticed trend for a while now, and I think it needs to be addressed. And Paul, is, Paul is dealing here in our text with a narrow aspect of sharing good things, supporting the work of your local pastor. But let's think, what I'm pointing us to is thinking about the broader principle, and it's this, that if you are a member of Trinity Presbyterian Church, it is your privilege and your Christian duty to give. Yeah, Paul, Paul seems to be basing this on a principle of fairness from the perspective of what is, what is right, what, what is just, that it, that it isn't right for a person to just receive for nothing. And I think that flies right in the face of our consumer society that has commodified the church today. Because a lot of people basically think of church as a product to be consumed. Right? You find the church that offers the product that you most like. And then you go and you consume the product. And when the church isn't offering the product you like, maybe, maybe you complain. But the way a lot of people think about the church today is it's a place where you get rather than give. But I want you to notice uh, Paul's motivation he gives uh, when he is addressing this issue. He's talking to another community of churches in, in Corinth. You remember, he had, he had been going around for two years raising funds in Gentile congregations to take to famine-stricken believers in Jerusalem. So you've got Gentile believers <coughs> giving to Jewish Christians in need. People they had never met. People they never would meet. And Paul, Paul gives them this motivation for giving in 2 Corinthians. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. That we through his poverty might become rich. That's the motivation for giving in, in 2 Corinthians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The lavish grace of Christ given to us by God the Father, because you are forgiven and accepted and adopted and, and held fast in the everlasting arms, because Christ has secured the eternal riches of God's grace to you. 
you can give. You can give generously. You can give sacrificially. You can give joyfully. And so the duty of joy or duty and joy of, of supporting the work of the church, it's a, it's a mark of, of spirit-led, justified, Christ-following people. Giving. <coughs> so, so what's the application? Well, put in the widow's offering. Because that's often what our giving is. It's not much. It's a few it's a few coins, a few dollars. But the Lord took delight in that widow's offering, didn't he? It was, it was a way for her to say to the Lord, thank you. It was, it was a way for her to support uh, the work, to give back to God out of what she had received. So that's it. That's all I'm going to say. Give, give to worship God, give to support the ministry of the church, give with joy and give because it's a Christian duty. Uh, secondly, uh, so the spirit-led believer supports the work of the church, and then secondly, the spirit-led believer sows to the spirit. Paul introduces here uh, a principle of, of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow, he says. Now this isn't, uh, I don't think we should view this as a universal principle. It's not always true. And it wasn't true for Job. Uh, The the troubles that Job experienced were not Job reaping the consequences of his sin. God says that. So this this is meant to be understood as a rule of thumb, a general principle to apply. And Paul says, if you sow to the flesh, verse 8, it's the word sarks. It's a, it's a distinctive word. Paul is saying, if you sow to your sinful flesh, if you sow to your sinful desires, <coughs> you will reap corruption. The word corruption can, can also mean disintegration. If you, as a pattern of life, reap to or sow to your sinful desires, what will you get? Your life will fall apart, it will disintegrate, it will bring you to ruin and in the end, judgment. Let's put, let's, let's make this concrete. Just think about <coughs> a few examples. <coughs> Sorry for my voice today. If you sow sow to pornography, what will you reap? A life of lies and deception, a life of isolation, a life of cover-up, the mistrust of your spouse and loved ones, a, a radically distorted view of sex and sexuality, Perhaps a broken marriage, even divorce. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap disintegration, Paul is saying. It will, it will tear your life apart. If you sow to uh, self, you know, you say, I'm, I'm going to live for me. It's all about me. It's about my wants and my desires. I'm going to look out for numero uno. Other people, they exist for me. 
What will, what will you reap? <laughs> Broken relationships, disappointment, vanity, a life of emptiness. What if, what if, you, what if you sow to self-ambition, self-advancement? What if you're one of those people who says, I am going to get to the top. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have that nice house by the lake. I'm going to have that fancy SUV. I'm going to climb to the top of the, the business ladder. And you do it all for self-serving reasons, selfish ambitions, apart from God's desires, God's moral principles. What will you reap? Uh, you will reap broken relationships, alienation, your, your heart will become as cold and as hard as the coins that you worship. What if you, what if you sow to resentment? And maybe, maybe in your, your marriage or perhaps with someone here at church. It, you allow resentment to, to build in that relationship. You sow to that resentment without ever trying to resolve or uproot it. You, you talk bad about the person. You wish ill of them. You think ill of them. What will you reap? Disintegration. Once again, a complete destruction of a good thing. Of, of something that God himself established. So you see, with every, we could go on and on with the examples here. With every thought, every word, every deed... We are sowing a seed, and we are either sowing a seed to the sinful flesh, or we are sowing to the Spirit. What does that mean, to sow to the Spirit? It means to keep in step with the Spirit. Remember, Paul talked that way back in Galatians chapter 5. It means obeying his instruction, the instruction of his word, as we follow after Christ Jesus. It, it means sowing Thoughts and words and, and deeds that are seeds from the fruit of the Spirit. Things like love, joy, peace, and so on. Another way we could put it is to say that sowing to the Spirit is, is living by faith in the Son of God for the glory of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. It means we live for God's pleasure and not the pleasure of our sinful flesh. So let's just get concrete again and think about this for a minute. If, if you sow, what if you, what if you sow peace in your marriage? What will you reap? <coughs> you don't, um, you know, there's been a, there's been a heated disagreement in the home. What do we often do? We often say, well, I'm not going to apologize or say anything until they come to me because they're the ones who started it. At least that's how I sometimes think. What if instead we, we, we went to our spouse and said, you know, I was wrong. I, I, I sinned against you. I'm a, I'm a chump. Blew it. Would you please forgive me? And let's start afresh. And we mean it. What will you reap? If that's a pattern in your life, you'll, you'll reap a, a healthy marriage, a loyal friend, a, a marriage full of happiness and joy. What will you reap if you, if you sow seeds of fellowship in the church of 
Jesus Christ. You know, there's, there's people who are tough to talk to, and we are, we are prone to stick with the people who are most like us, even within the church of Christ. And you know, there are people here that for you, they're tough to talk to. And, and maybe, maybe for you, they, their life is a mess, their life is so unlike yours, maybe they talk too much. What if you, what if you went to them and, and simply said, how, how are you? Could, could we grab coffee together this week? I'd like to spend time with you and pray with you. What would you reap? Right. Joy of service? Joy of being a fellow burden bearer? The joy of ministry? And, and, and in the end, what will you reap? Because that's what Paul talks about in this passage. If you sow to the Spirit, what will you reap? Verse 8, everyone who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, of course, Paul is not saying there that we earn eternal life by sowing to the Spirit. That's not his point. He is saying that if we sow to the Spirit, live by the Spirit, if we walk in step with the Spirit, take the seeds of of love and faithfulness and and goodness and and, and the others and, and sow them in our lives then we can live with the assurance and the confidence that we are on the straight and and narrow way following the Lord Jesus Christ. We can experience the joy of the Christian life and know that it will continue beyond death. Someone has said this, uh, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. You see, the pattern of your life matters because it speaks volumes to whether you are sowing to the flesh or whether you are sowing to the spirit, resulting either in corruption and disintegration that will carry on into eternity or eternal life. That's why Paul gives that really sobering warning back in verse 7 where he said, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. I, I, this is one of the most common deceptions, one of the most popular lies around today. It's the lie that I can do whatever I want without ever experiencing any of the consequences or being held accountable for, for what I've done. And we can add to that deception in Christian circles, by saying things like this. You know, I I trust in Jesus, so I'll just ask for forgiveness. I'll say I'm sorry to to the people I've, I've wronged, and then everything will be ironed out. Everything will work out fine then, and I'll just go right back to the patterns of sowing to my sinful flesh and my sinful desires. What I am really saying, if I am saying that, is I can sin against the blood of Jesus Christ. I can sin against the blood of the covenant. And Paul is saying, don't be a fool. Don't be deceived. That's a lie. People who think they can live for the flesh, again, not in a, not in a sincere struggle with our sinful nature, with indwelling sin that remains in our lives. That's not what Paul is talking about. Instead, he's saying, if people who sow to their flesh as a pattern of life think they will not reap the consequences, Paul says, they're fooling themselves. No one can sow to the flesh 
as a pattern of life and not reap a harvest of corruption and disintegration. One day, Paul is saying, we will reap what we sow. And so, if we consistently sow to the flesh, to the sinful flesh, we will reap eternal corruption and destruction. So, (coughs) Paul gives that very sobering warning here. But, but he also gives an encouragement in this passage for those who are, by grace, sowing to the Spirit. In verse 9, he says, Don't grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Did you hear that? Don't, don't grow weary, dearly beloved. Don't grow faint-hearted. Don't, don't give up. Of doing good. Because in God's time. In due season. God's time which is always the best time. We will reap if we do not give up. Sowing. Sowing is hard work. Especially I mean, if if you're doing it by hand. Sowing is toilsome labor. That takes hours and hours. Without an immediate payoff. Maybe you've planted seeds. With little ones before. And they've said okay well where's the plant now. And so, <laughs> uh, planting or sowing seed in the Spirit, we need to understand, is hard work too. We can grow weary. We can get tired. We can lose heart. We can, we can slow down and start to slack off in the Christian life. And then we can get discouraged on top of that because we're not seeing immediate results from our service to the Lord Jesus Christ. See what Paul is calling us to, though, in this passage? He's, he's calling us to perseverance. Don't grow weary. And he's calling us to patience. For in due season, we will reap. And so he says, don't stop doing good. Don't stop living for Jesus. Don't stop serving your master. Don't stop giving your life over to living for Christ. When you're tired, rely upon the Lord for strength. Wait upon the Lord to bless and keep plodding. Keep plodding along in doing good in Jesus' name. And more and more as I've, I've shared this with some of you recently, thinking about the, the Christian life. What's a good description of the Christian life? I and mean, we could give a lot. But one that is coming to the very center of my thinking is we need to begin to think of ourselves more and more as faithful plotters. We live in a society that wants things like that. Right? We just microwave it and get it done. And that's not how it is in the Christian life. It's not how it is in service to our Lord Jesus Christ. You might be doing things in Jesus' name which you will never see the fruit of in this life. And yet God says here, Keep doing good in the name of Jesus and there will be a harvest. And so until the harvest, we keep sowing to the Spirit and we don't give up. I, I thought of uh, the missionary uh, William Carey this week as I was thinking about that point. Some of you know William Carey who, who went to uh, India in, in 1793. And he started sharing the Bible, the message of the gospel with anyone who would listen to him. And he proceeded to do that for seven years without seeing a single convert to Christ. 
All right, so it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise you then. Here you are alone in, in India, in a foreign land, and seven years of ministry, you see nothing, no fruit. It wouldn't surprise you then if you understood that William Carey struggled with discouragement at times and sometimes felt like his labor was in vain until, I believe it was the year 1800, seven years later, Carey saw his first convert to Christ. And that's been described as the first fruits of a great harvest among the Indian people. So persevere and be patient. And in connection with that, let's quickly talk about the third thing here. Spirit-led believers steward well opportunities to do good. I need water or I'm going to lose my voice. Okay. Well, this passage, it's all interconnected. You you see that with the the phrase, so then, in verse 10. But back up to verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So sharing, sowing, and now stewarding God-given opportunities to do good to everyone, and especially to the household of faith. We're coming to the end of Galatians, friends, and and I hope one of the lessons we're carrying with us is that Galatians teaches us that there is a damnable plus. The damnable plus is saying that I am saved by faith in Jesus plus something I do. I am saved by faith in Jesus plus certain works that I add to my faith in order to be right with God. The message of Galatians, the message of the gospel is we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone apart from works of the law. But do you see that Galatians is also teaching us that there is a damnable minus. That a person can be saved trusting in Jesus Christ justified by grace alone and be without good works. That's what Paul is saying here. We we are not saved by good works, but once we are saved, we do good works. Remember from our passage in Ephesians that Dave read, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. So saved, saved apart from works and saved for good works is It's the economy of the gospel. It's the way the gospel works in the lives of God's people. You know, this this week I was just thinking about this idea of, okay, what good are we doing as a congregation to to everyone and especially to the household of of faith? And I'm just sharing this with you to encourage you because I I was really encouraged by it. I was just thinking about things that I've heard and seen in, say, the last two or three weeks. And <clears throat> I'm sure there's a lot I don't even know about. But some of you were going to other people's homes and helping them do home repairs. Some of you spent days and hours here at the church updating the foyer area. I know some of you are intentionally seeking out 
hurting people in the church in order to help them. Some of the folks in the church uh, regularly call one another and pray for one another over the phone. Uh, Some of the dads recently watched the kids so moms could go out and spend time with each other and encourage one another. Uh, Some of you have uh, made meals to take to people in need. I'm just thinking of things off the top of my head here. Uh, I come to church regularly and find people in the middle of the week when nobody else is here cleaning up our mess. And frankly, we're a messy bunch of people. (laughs) Uh, I've had people come to me in the last month or so and say, I want to serve in the church. What, what can I do? Where is there a need? By the way, if you ever want to encourage your elders, there, there's a way to do it. <laughs> How can I serve in the church? We could go on and on and on and on with seemingly insignificant things that our Heavenly Father notices and loves and delights in. But, don't misunderstand me, there's more good that we can do. As, as a congregation and as individuals with the gifts and, and the resources that God has given to us, opportunities individually and corporately, frankly, pass us by every day. And, and we miss them. I wonder, I, I, wonder, I wonder if we ever wake up in the morning and say a prayer like this. You know, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gospel that I belong to Christ Jesus, that I'm adopted and loved and accepted in him. Would you give me opportunities today to do good works in his name? And would you open my eyes to see those opportunities in order that I might walk in them? I wonder if that's our attitude as Christians or do we live in such a self-centered Society that it has corrupted the mind of Christians to being turned in on ourselves. The gospel turns us from focusing on ourselves to focusing on Christ and to focusing, secondly, on others. You know, a story I heard this week, uh, Abraham Lincoln in, in his early presidency, I think it was a few weeks in, he was being bombarded by people who wanted government jobs. And uh, Abraham Lincoln got uh, typhoid fever. So he's laying on a couch and he says to his administrator or whatever the person's title was, send, send them in, them referring to the people who wanted a job. Send them in and I have something to give them all. <laughs> um, friends, we have something to give to one another, and and to to all. And it's the love of Jesus Christ and the word of the gospel. It is uh, the the very goodness of Jesus reflected in the lives of his people as they serve in his name. And and so the Spirit-led life, it, it supports the work of the church, it sows to the Spirit, And it stewards well God-given opportunities to do good to everyone 
especially to the household of faith. May God make us sensitive to these things. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. And we pray as, as a fellowship that we would be known for uh, we would be known as a people who care care deeply for one another and for the community in which we we live. We pray that we would be known for for Jesus-like love emanating from us, with its motive being uh, the very gospel of God that rescues sinners. Uh, forgive us for the times we pass up on the opportunities that you give us and help us to be more faithful in the future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.